0: amen thank you guys so much good morning Haines creek hope you all are doing well today my name is travis i'm the pastor here Uh, and if it is your first time i just want to before we go any further just say welcome special welcome to you We, we are so excited and thrilled that you're here checking things out worshiping with us and i would love a chance just to to reach out and say thank you so much for your visit so if you do me a huge favor at some point during the service, uh, just let us know that you're here. Uh, one really easy way to do that is you can just pull out your phone right now and text the word welcome to that number that you see on the screen. So all you got to do is just text welcome to that number. Or if you prefer, we have our welcome cards over here on the table or outside by the coffee. Just fill out that card, leave it right there on the table where you found it. And like I said, this just gives me a chance to reach out, give you a call, send you an email, and say thank you so much for your visit and let you know how much we appreciate that. So you do me that a huge favor... I'd really, really appreciate it. And you find us going uh, verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, So we finished out chapter 5 last week, and this week we're going to start out in chapter 6. We're going to dig into the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. Uh, We've got the verses on the screens behind me. We also have Bibles in the back there. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home. Consider that our gift to you. We'd love for you. for you to take that. But uh, Acts chapter 6, and as you're turning there, I just want to give you a recap as to where we've been. So at the end of chapter 5, we saw yet again more persecution of the church, right? So this Jewish council, they're hating that, that Jesus is being preached. They hate that the church is growing and expanding and taking over Jerusalem. So they arrest all the apostles right? They're, they're, they're so angry, they're ready to kill them on the spot. Uh, one of the leaders of the Jewish council talks them out of that, like, no, we, we're, let's just leave them alone and see what happens. Uh, so they're released, but before that, they're, they're beaten, and the disciples, all the apostles, they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, to suffer for the name of, of Jesus. And then they, what do we see? Despite the warnings, despite the threats, despite the beating, despite the arrest, the apostles continued to do what Jesus told them to, which was go and be my witness. Continue to preach and teach about me. And that's exactly what happened. And the church continues to grow. And that's where we pick up our story again. Acts chapter 6. Let me read this for us, and then we'll spend our time talking about it. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, And when they said, what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Achanor, and Timon, and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so there, there's a lot happening. Even in just these seven verses, there's a lot going on, right? We, we see another issue in the church. We saw this at the beginning of chapter 5 with the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, that was an issue in the church. The church had to deal with and work through. And yet again, here we, here we see another issue. And this time, it's, it's between a certain group of widows who wasn't being cared for properly. We also see the church raising up seven new leaders, men to, to serve and make sure that, that everybody is being well cared for. And, and this paves the way for what we see later in the church and, and carried on into today, the role in the office of deacon. This is, this is the first uh, kind of uh, setting up of that that would pave the way for the office of deacon. And if you're wondering, you know, where where do we stand on that? I preached a sermon on that in November. We're not going to get into that today. If you want to check that out, feel free to do that. You can find it on our podcast. Uh, But we also see a really important development here, too. We see the introduction of two really key uh, figures going forward, and that's Stephen and Philip. And these are two guys where the focus in the next chapter is going to be all on Stephen. And then in chapter 8, the focus is going to be all on Philip. So we see that being introduced here. And then we see the church continue to grow, continue to expand, even, even priests, right? Jewish priests putting their faith in Jesus, which is really awesome, really cool. So there's, like I said, there, there's a lot going on. But for today, I want to spend our time looking at, at why this problem in the church came up. Why, why did they have this issue? What, what led to the issue with the Hellenist widows not being cared for? And a lot could be said on that. A lot could be mentioned and talked about. On that subject, but ultimately, I believe what was going on is the church was experiencing a problem with their culture. They're experiencing a problem with their church culture. And every single church, every single church, every single place, every single business organization has a culture. Right? And the culture of a place is, is what, you, what you feel, what you experience when, when you walk in. Right? Would you, it's, it's the tone or the vibe of that place, that business, that organization, that church, whatever it is. You know, a more uh, sophisticated way to say that would be a, the culture of an organization is the lived values or the lived priorities of that place. See, every, every organization, every place is communicating to you what they believe based on how they act and how they operate. Every, every place does that. Every place is communicating to you, here's, here's what we actually believe, not, not what somebody says we're supposed to do, what we actually believe based on how they act. And look, we, we can feel this right away, right? Like we know pretty quickly, or, or as soon as we interact with an employee at a business, what that lived value actually is, right? Like you could have the core values pasted on the wall, you could have the higher-ups constantly saying, this is what we're about, this is what we're about, this is what we're about, and you will know right away, as soon as you interact with one employee, whether that is a lived value or not, right? Like, we all know this, we all experience this, and no matter, no matter what the organization says, like, oh, that was, everybody all right over there? All right, trash can's falling, good, good to know. Like, no matter how much an organization says, the customer is always right. We, we value customer service. We love, let's just, we want to be here to serve the customer. The minute you talk to an employee, you know whether that's true or not, right? Looking at you, Comcast. Just kidding. Just kidding. Evan. Dave's with me. Dave's with me. We know, right? So we know we, we can feel the culture. We know what the culture actually is, these lived values. And churches do this too. Churches communicate what they believe too, right? Like, we We talk about what we believe all the time, right? Like I'll stand up here and preach 45 minutes every Sunday about what we believe. We got to paste it all over our website, teaching classes, Bible says We're always talking about what we believe. And what we believe is, is the word of God, right? We believe the truths here in the word of God. And we want to communicate that. We want to show you and tell you and talk about the, the truth of who God is, right? We want to have really good, solid theology and doctrine, right? We want to be able to, to teach you what is true based on the word of God. So we're always communicating what we believe. But are, are those values really lived out? That's what culture comes So So every church has gospel doctrine or should have good, solid, truthful, gospel-centered doctrine. Like we should, we should be able to teach and preach and talk about the truth of God. And what gospel doctrine should lead to is gospel culture. Gospel doctrine should lead to gospel culture. Now the sad reality is is churches can unsay with their culture what they say they believe in their doctrine. We can do that all the time. And I'm sure if we you know, took 10 minutes to talk about it, we, we could probably all share horror stories of walking into a church where their culture was not good, was not healthy, was not welcoming or inviting or loving or caring, right? No matter how good and truthful their church's statement of faith is, no matter how good their, their doctrine is, If it's not being lived out, if it's not being demonstrated with how they treat and interact with people, well, it doesn't matter what you have on your website. It doesn't matter necessarily what you say from the stage. It doesn't matter how well you teach good, solid, truthful doctrine. If you're not living that out, what we're telling people is we don't really believe that stuff. We don't really believe what we say we do. And I believe this is what's happening in this passage. The church was experiencing a gospel culture problem. What they were saying they believed and how they were living wasn't matching up. It wasn't matching up. And this is important for us as as a church, as as a church, especially a a younger church like ours, a newer church like ours. This is important because because like every, every other place, every other church, we have a culture too. And look, I believe that we have... Good, solid, right doctrine. man. You you look at our statement of faith, it's chock full of verses, it's chock full of truth, gospel-centered theology, it's good, it's awesome. But if we don't live that out, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. People aren't going to hear that. So that's not enough. We also need to build, keep, and protect a gospel culture. So I want to give you four parts of gospel culture that we see in this passage, there's more than these four, but I don't want to keep you here all day long. Uh, and just to be front with you, I'm very indebted to a pastor, theologian, Ray Ortland. If you've heard of him, he talks a lot about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. Learned a lot from him on this. So some of it uh, that I've learned from him is also in here as well. So four parts of gospel culture that we see from Acts chapter six. First one for you note takers out there. First point, welcoming, welcoming a gospel culture is one that should be welcoming. It's a a culture that that should be open and welcome to everybody, right? Anybody who walks in these doors should be welcomed. As Romans 15 says, we, we should welcome one another as Christ welcomes us. And how does Christ welcome us? With arms wide open. Regardless of what we're walking through, regardless of what we're struggling with, Jesus says, come to me, everybody. He welcomes us all. The church should be like that too. We, we should be open and welcoming to all believers who claim the name of Jesus. And we should be open and welcoming to all types of sinners who don't claim the name of Jesus. Everybody should be welcome here. Everybody should receive that experience. When they walk in these doors, they should be welcomed as Christ welcomes us. And again, as we were saying, you know, every place has a culture. And you can kind of feel that right away. One of the places that I feel like has some of the best culture, uh, at least by us, uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, I feel like has some of the best culture. They're like the the nicest people at Chick-fil-A. And they might be faking it, but I don't know that. They're just super sweet, super nice. And look, y'all, there's a Chick-fil-A right by my house, which is, it's dangerous, all right? That's just dangerous for my budget and my self-control because I love me some Chick-fil-A, all right? That is Jesus's chicken, all right? It's good stuff. I love it. And look, every time you're in there, Every time you go through the drive-through, you're inside, whatever it is, man, everybody's just so nice, so welcome. They're treating everybody the same. Doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what your past is, they don't know any of that. All they know is here's this customer that I need to that I need to treat with respect. I need to help him get through this process with great ease and, and be nice. And you know, you say thank you. And they give you the my pleasure. Like it's just, it's just awesome, right? Like I love Chick-fil-A. I have a great culture. And even like there's times where I'm sitting in the in the drive-thru and I'm I'm like getting frustrated because this person is taking forever. And I'm like, look, it's fried chicken. You either want it in nugget, strip, or sandwich form. It's not that difficult, y'all. It's all good too. Just take your pick. It's gonna be awesome. Like, it's going to be great, but I'm getting frustrated. And here's this sweet little high school student, just the nicest person ever, giving them all the information, answering all their questions, helping them with their order. I'm getting frustrated, but they're not. They're like the sweetest person in the world. They're so welcoming. And y'all, that, that's how we should be, right? Like, how much more welcoming should a church be than a fast food restaurant, right? Like, we should be far more than that. Those who don't believe, those who come here and they don't believe in Jesus, two things should happen to that person. One, they should walk in and they should hear the truth of Jesus. They should hear the truth of his word. They should hear the truth of the gospel that Jesus left the glory and the riches of heaven to come down to earth, to die on a cross, to save and rescue us. They should hear good, solid, gospel-centered truth, and they should also feel the love of God through his people. They should walk in and feel immediately loved. They, should, they might even go, you know what? I don't believe anything that they said. I don't even like what they said. But man, those people loved me. Man, they cared about me. Man, they welcomed me in. So we should be welcoming to the center. We, we should be open and welcoming to, to everyone who claims the name of Jesus, right? If we, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we are united as brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't matter our background. Doesn't matter our culture. Doesn't matter our ethnicity. Doesn't matter that we might disagree on open-handed issues. If we are united by Jesus, that's what matters. And we should be welcoming. See, the problem of Acts chapter 6, it isn't just a care problem. It's not just that, that a certain group of widows wasn't being cared for properly. Yes, that's absolutely part of it. But what was going on was actually an ethnic and a cultural problem. It was an ethnic and a cultural problem. Like who, who were the widows that were being excluded? It says it was the Hellenist widows versus the Hebrew widows. So what's going on with that? The Hellenist widows, the Hellenist Jews of this time would be referring to Jewish people, ethnic Jewish people who didn't live in Jerusalem, didn't grow up in Israel. Maybe they, you know, through the, the different exiles and people leaving the land and all that kind of stuff over the centuries, uh, Jewish people were scattered all over the known world. So you had certain Jewish people who didn't grow up in Israel. They, they grew up in different areas. And, and the, the main language of that time was Greek. So they grew up, they didn't, they didn't learn Hebrew or Aramaic, which is what Jewish people were speaking during that time. They didn't learn that language. They learned Greek. They learned Greek. So they, they spoke Greek. They were very much steeped in the Greek culture. And then maybe they, most likely some of them have moved now to Jerusalem. They moved to be closer to Jerusalem. And so now we have this, this cultural rift in the church. We have people, the Hebrew Jews, who have grown up in Judea, grown up in Israel, grown up in Jerusalem. They speak Aramaic. They, they very much have a Jewish Hebrew culture. And now you've got this other group that's more Greek culture. They speak Greek. They grew up far away and grow up in Jerusalem. And it's these widows who are being neglected. It's these widows who aren't being cared for. And the only difference is their culture. Only difference is where they grew up, the language that they speak. So what's going on in Acts chapter 6 is discrimination. It is. We can't get beyond that. You can't gloss over that fact. They were being discriminated against simply because of their culture. That's not welcoming. That's not honoring to Jesus. Uh, Paul confronts this very thing in Peter, the Apostle Peter. Can, he's confronted about this. Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about this instance. He says this in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2 But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So just kind of let me paint the picture of what's going on here. So as a Jewish person, in the Old Testament law, it it forbids you from eating and hanging out with Gentiles. That that made you ceremonially unclean in the Jewish law. But as we're going to see in Acts, Acts chapter 10, Jesus tells Peter through a vision, hey man, we're done with that. We're done with that. We're, we're We're no longer doing this unclean, clean practices. No, no, we're done with that. We are all united by faith in Jesus. So we're, we're all to hang out. We're all to spend. If we're believers in Jesus, we're all together. So Peter acted like that, lived that out. And here, he's hanging out in Antioch. He's hanging out with Gentiles. But as soon as people came from the church in Jerusalem, that's the reference to James. That's James, the guy who wrote the book of James. James, the brother of Jesus. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem at this time. When he sends certain people from Jerusalem, Peter sees these Jews coming in, and what does he do? He draws back. Oh, I can't hang out with Gentiles anymore. I can't hang out with them anymore i got to appease these other people who came along. And now he's treating people, these Gentile believers, differently simply because of their culture, of their ethnicity. And Paul calls him on it. Paul calls him out and he says, look, man, you're, you're out of step with the gospel. You have the right doctrine, but you're not living it out. You're telling people, look how good Jesus is. Look how awesome Jesus is. Yeah, anybody can come to Jesus. But your life is telling a different story. That's the issue that's going on. Look, y'all, when we when we do this, when we treat people or think differently of people simply because of their ethnicity or their culture or their race, it's a sin and it's a rejection of the gospel. We are showing people through our actions, through our thoughts, through our words, that we think of them as lesser than. And y'all, that's unacceptable for believers. That's unacceptable for us as Christians. That should not be. Look, the reality is this county, Newton County, Rockdale County, it is some of the most diverse parts of the entire state of Georgia. Culturally, ethnically, racially, extremely diverse. And look, I didn't grow up here. I didn't grow up here. I don't live here. So as I've been getting to know the area, I've been talking to even some of you right here in this room, those of you that grew up in this area, what I found out, is although this county is extremely diverse, there's still a lot of places where it's extremely segregated. Let that not be in this church. Let that not be in our lives, believers. You claim the name of Jesus, that is unacceptable. That cannot be. It is out of step with the gospel. Let's pave a different way, right? Let's pave a way of welcoming all people, into this place. Let it be said, man, that that church over there, Haines Creek, yeah, they're open to everybody. You can go there and you'll feel welcome and loved. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter how you grew up or where you grew up. Those people will love you. That's a welcoming culture. So real quick, let me give you three ways that we can continually be a welcoming church, have a welcoming culture when it comes to this area. One, we have to constantly tear down barriers, constantly look for and tear down any barriers that we're putting up. And look, sometimes that's intentional and that's a big problem, but a lot of times it's unintentional. Like we don't even realize what we're doing, but we've set up these barriers where people come in and they just, they don't feel welcome. So we have to constantly be aware, are we treating people different because they, they are different than us? Maybe they grew up differently. Maybe they're from a different country. Maybe they have a different ethnicity. Maybe they, they, they look different than us. Are we treating people different because they're different than us? Are we, are we giving off this, this vibe, this feel, this culture to those who don't know Jesus when they come in that they've gotta, they gotta somehow clean themselves up before they're welcomed here at the church? That oh man, don't, don't bring your sin struggles here. Oh, that's, this is not a safe place for that. No, I'll be talking about that. I oh, know, you gotta, you gotta you figure that out first and then, then you can come in. We might not say that with our words, but we might say that with our actions. We gotta be careful about that. So tear down barriers, remove and repent of any pride, prejudice, racism, partiality, discrimination. Look, y'all, look, I don't know about you, but I'll just admit it. If the apostle Peter struggled with this, I don't know about you, but I'm not as holy and righteous as the apostle Peter. It would be foolish and prideful of me to say, "Ah, I don't struggle with that. If Peter did, y'all, we're susceptible to that too. Let's be aware of what's going on in our hearts and our lives. Another thing, be aware of cultural differences and be flexible where you can. A lot of times in the church, what we do is we take cultural practices and we make them theological. So it's, you know, it comes down to things like the way we worship or the songs that we sing or even the way we preach or who we have in leadership or who we have on the stage. We'll say, oh, you know, we, we preach this way because it's a theological issue, because it's biblical. Oh, we, we sing these songs because they're biblical. Oh, we worship this way because it's more biblical when really it's just what we're comfortable with. That's just the way that we grow up. I sing those songs because that's what I'm used to. I worship this way because that's what I'm used to. It's a cultural issue. It's not a theological doctrine issue. And if we're going to be welcoming to all different types of people, races, ethnicities, cultures, we've got to be flexible. So maybe we will sing songs where you're like, man, I don't know this song. I don't know. What, I've never heard this song. We might be doing that to open ourselves up to a, a different style of worship, a different culture of worship. Still a good, solid theological song singing about Jesus? Might just be a little different. That's okay, y'all. It's okay. It's okay to be stretched a little bit, all right? It's okay to step into something that's like, I don't know about this, a little uncomfortable. I know, that's good for us, though. That's how we grow. That's how we grow, all right? You don't want to stay stagnant. That's boring. So beware uh, of what's cultural and not make it theological. And then we need to pursue and fight for harmony across cultural, ethnic, and racial lines. We have to be just like Paul. When we see something that's out of step with the gospel in this area, we've got to confront it. We've got to call it out. We've got to call it out in our own lives and in the lives of the people in, around us in this church. Because, again, none, none of us are above any sin, right? We can't. Uh, it's prideful to say, I, I'll never struggle with that. We have to pursue and fight for harmony. All right, so we should be a welcoming church. We have a welcoming culture. That's the first part. Second thing that we see here about gospel culture is serving, a serving culture, a gospel culture, is one that serves, where, where all of us are serving one another. We're all serving Jesus. We're all serving together in the church. And the opposite of serving is consuming. It's consuming. If we don't have a serving culture, we will have a consuming culture. Instead of one of service, we'll have one of consumerism. And look, it's real easy to say, oh, well, you know, this, this type of church, that type of church, that church down the road, they're, they're a consumeristic culture, but not us. We're better than that. We've got better theology. We, we do things the right way, right? now. of course we would No, every church, every church is susceptible to this. If you don't develop a culture of serving, you will have one of consumerism. Because that, look, y'all, that's just how we're bent, all right? In our, and still struggling with sin, saints that are saved, but still struggling. Like, we are bent towards being selfish. So we got to fight against that. One of the ways we do that is through serving. Because look, consumerism, consumerism says it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my preferences. It's all about my opinions. It's all about the way that I want to do things. My time is more important than valuable than your time. It's all about me. Now, look, we might not say it that way, but when we don't serve, that's exactly what we're communicating, that my time and what I have going on is far more valuable than you. You're here to serve me and meet my needs. And I'm just going to sit back and let you do that. And if you don't, then I'm going to get mad and I'm going to bounce somewhere else that'll do that. That's consumerism. Ultimately, it's pride. It's pride. You can't have a gospel culture that's prideful. Those things don't go together. It doesn't work out that way. Well, this is what Paul says about having a culture of service. This is what he says in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. It's like, if anybody's a believer, anybody's a follower of Jesus, please do this. Verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. See, instead of, instead of pride, we need humility. And look, how do we demonstrate humility? How do we live out this value of humility? Because I think we would all say, yeah, let's, we need to be more humble. I don't think anybody, if I was like, hey, do you want to be really prideful right now? We'd be like, oh, yes, please. I, I want to be really prideful. Can I be really prideful? Like, none of us would say that. We would be like, yeah, I want to be more humble. Yes, we we need to grow in our humility. We We should be humble people, right? We should be a humble church. How do we demonstrate that? Serving. Looking not just to what I have going on, but looking to the interests and the needs of those around me. Sometimes when uh, we don't have anything going on in the mornings, like, you know, Kendra's not working. That's my wife, Kendra. And when she's not working or we don't have, you know, somewhere to be really early in the morning, what we'll do is we'll just kind of sleep until the kids come and get us. And thankfully, they are just like little alarm clocks on their own. Like they're up before seven, but they have these little clocks in the room uh, that will turn green when it turns seven. And that's when they know they're, they're allowed to come out of the room. Uh, so at seven, man, it is like clockwork. Every single week, they will come out of our room or come out of their room and straight into our room. Like, what's up, y'all? When we do, what are we doing for breakfast? What are we got going on today? Y'all up? Let's go. Let's get it. Good. Come on. Let's go. Get up. Like just automatically. And look, if I can be real with y'all for a minute. Let me, is this, this is a safe place, right? I can be honest with you guys. We're going to talk about honesty in a second, but I can be honest with you all, right? If I'm being honest, there are times where I'm, maybe I'm, I'm just a little bit more tired and I will try to lay as still as possible, keep my eyes closed, and just hope that they just go, go bother mom, go get mom up. Dad's still sleeping, so I'm not going to move. I'm going to stay real still. Eventually, they'll go get mom. Mom will get up thinking, oh, dad's just, he's Travis, he's still sleeping. I guess I'll get up, and I'll go make breakfast." I'm awake. Meanwhile, I'm awake. I just don't want to get up. I just want to be selfish in that moment, right? I'm sure none of y'all do that. I'm sure none of y'all are like that, but I, I, I am sometimes. And look, Kendra will do it too, all right? Kendra will do it too. Sometimes she'll pretend to be asleep. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll get up. Meanwhile, she told tell me later, yeah, I, I was awake. I just didn't want to get up. It's like, hey, I get it. Sometimes I do that too. But then there's other times, so that, that's selfish. Other times, it's like, you know what? I, I, wanna, I wanna let my wife continue to sleep or she'll let me wanna, hey, you know what? I wanna let Travis continue to sleep. So let me, you know, as soon as the kids come in, let me, let me pop out of bed real quick. Let me, let me get them out of there. Like, hey, shh, be quiet. Let mommy sleep. That, that's serving, right? We can be selfish or we can be serving. What type of church do we wanna be? I wanna be a church that serves. I wanna be a church that serves, that puts others ahead of myself, where it's not just all about me, it's me looking to the needs of those around me in this body and seeing, how can I serve? How can I care for others? How can I serve one another? And when we do that, when we have that mindset, where it's not just about me, it's not just looking at me and what I have going on, it's looking to others, that mindset removes selfish ambition and pride. See, the church in Acts 6, how how did they correct this problem? They raised up additional leaders in the church to serve, to meet the needs of the congregation, to care for one another. They modeled this, showing us a way forward. So look, here's the deal. Here's the action step for application. If you're not serving, serve. Serve. We need you. If you call this your church, someone's like, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to to Haines Creek. If this is your church, whether you're an official member or not, we need you serving. We want you serving, and you should want to serve. Sign up to serve. We need your help. Kids ministry, first impressions, coffee, tech team, worship. You got worship skills. We need you. We need you. We're going to burn poor Johnny and Channing and Alex out over here. Thanks for Seth for stepping in today and serving, man. I love it. I love when you play. It's awesome. They need more help, y'all. Poor Blake and Chris and Josh are doing the tech team stuff by themselves every single week. Guess what happens when one of them's out of town? They're pulling extra weight. If you're not scared of a computer and all those buttons back there, we need your help. They'll train you up. We need your help. We need more help around here. y'all. We, we need all of us serving together. So if you're here, if this is your church, serve, serve. If you're a member, especially if you are a member of this church, y'all, yo, you should already be serving. I shouldn't have to be saying this to y'all. Let's serve, let's, let's serve one another. And look, if you are serving, thank you. First of all, thank you, praise God for you. We love you, I love you, thank you so much. But if you're serving and you know somebody who isn't, invite them to serve with you. Say, hey, would you wanna come along, serve with me today? Come hang out, man, it will be awesome. Invite them along. Look, in order to create a culture of serving and not of consuming, it needs to be abnormal and weird for people to be here and not be serving. Like, they need to be the ones that stand out like, hey, you're not serving. That's weird, y'all. What are you doing? You, you, want, you should come serve on my team. Come, come with me. Come serve with me. That's how we develop a culture of serving. We're all doing this together. All right, so we need a culture that is welcoming, that is serving. Number three, a culture of honesty. Honesty. A gospel culture is an honest culture. It's an honest culture. In this passage, we see... The honesty of the widows, right? We see the honesty. They, they had an issue, they had a concern, and what they do? They brought it up. They brought it to the leadership of the church, said, "Hey, y'all, th- this, this is a problem. This is an issue. We need to figure this out." And, and how did the church leadership respond? And they respond like, "Oh, pff, you're fine. It's not that big of a deal. You're all right. No problem here. I don't see any issue." why are you always on my case? I'm just trying to, just trying to do my job over here, just trying to preach and teach about Jesus, and hear y'all complaining about food. Like, what? No, just get out of here. Like, they, they didn't respond that way. No, they, they said, you know what? You're right. You're right. We agree with you. There is an issue. We're failing in this area, and we need to correct this problem. There's honesty in the church here. We need honesty in our lives, in the lives of this church. We need to be honest. Blah. We're in a culture that that is not typically honest. We don't really value honesty in in the culture at large, right? Like, especially with social media now, we can just put up this fake, amazing, plastic version of ourselves. It's just like, look how awesome and glorious my life is. I'm only going to put the good stuff. And when I put the bad stuff, I want to make sure I twist it to make it actually seem really good. Like, ooh, this really bad thing happened. But look how holy I'm being in this moment. Like, y'all, we do this. All right, let's be honest, let's be real. We do this. We put up this fake version of ourselves. We like to pretend that everything's fine, right? We come into the church. Someone's like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, it's great. Best day ever. Living the dream. Everything's amazing, right? Everything's awesome. Meanwhile, you spent the whole car ride yelling at your spouse or your kids, right? You pull in. Hey, everybody, put a smile on your face. We need to be happy. It's like, how how are we going to do that? See somebody. How's it going? Oh, it's great. It's amazing. That's what we do. Or somebody in our small group is, is opening up and sharing a struggle, something they're walking through, and it's something that you struggle with too. And they're done sharing, and you could step in and be like, Man, I, I do that too. I struggle. I feel you. I'm, I'm right there with you. Let's encourage one another. Let's hold each other accountable. But until you go, Oh man, I'm sorry you're struggling with that. I have my own stuff, but I certainly don't struggle with that. I'll be praying for you. We lie. We put up this fake version of ourselves. And because it's so easy to do that, right? It's so easy to lie. It's so tempting to do that. It's one of those sins that like not everybody's gonna know that you're putting up this fake version of yourself. Which is why like for, for my kids, so I've got three kids uh, six, five, and, and one and a half almost, and, and uh, the baby can't lie yet, so she's not lying, but I know as soon as she starts talking, she's probably going to start lying, because that's what happens with little toddlers. You guys know that. Y'all have been there, but we're trying to build in this, this idea of honesty with our kids, like constant, like, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, like, it's going to be far less, you know, you're going to Far less consequences if you tell the truth. It's gonna, you're gonna get in less trouble if you just tell the truth. And, and, and we're starting to see some real growth. And now it's to the point where, where when they tell the truth, it's like they wanna be praised. like, hey, mom and dad, aren't you, aren't you proud of me for telling the truth? Look, I, I told the truth. I was honest. Aren't, aren't you, can I have a treat? And it's like, yeah, I guess, because that's awesome. Way to go for telling the truth. But now it's like this. They want like this praise and, and adulation of just, just simply telling the truth. Aren't you glad that I didn't lie? Yeah, I am. So we're trying to pour this into our kids because honesty is important, right? Honesty is a big deal. But it's something we struggle with. Look at how the apostle John puts it in 1 John chapter 1. He says this, starting in verse five. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So here's what this tells us. If we claim the name of Jesus, we say, you know what, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus, I'm a Christian. We claim the name of Jesus, here's what John says. If we pretend that we're better off than we actually are, if we pretend that we don't have struggles, if we pretend and say we don't have sin, if we're secretly living in darkness but projecting to everybody else that everything's fine and we're good, what does he say? He says, we're a liar. We're deceiving ourselves. The truth of God is not in us. We're living in darkness and not in the light of Christ. So what's the remedy to that? What's the remedy to not being a liar, to not being self-deceived? What does he say here to do? What are we supposed to do? Confess our sins. Confess our sins. Be honest about what's going on. Honest about where we are. Confess our sins and not just confess it to God. The language here is our relationship with God and each other. So when he talks about confess your sins, yes, we confess our sins to God. We also confess it to one another. We confess it to one another. We are to confess our sins. And when we do that, that's walking in the light. That's dragging in the light. That's being honest about where we are. Because the reality here is, as he says here, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. If we Confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the beauty of the gospel, right? That when we put our faith in Jesus, he forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus. We are completely forgiven. Romans 8, chapter 1, or chapter 8, verse 1 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation, no one to condemn you. There's there's no more shame, there's no more guilt. All of that is wiped away by Jesus. But when we live in a way where we pretend that we're fine, that we've got no struggles, that everything's great when it's really not, when we're secretly living in darkness and not following Jesus, but not telling anybody about it, what we're demonstrating with our lives is we don't really believe that stuff. We don't really believe that there's no shame and guilt when it comes to Jesus. We don't really believe that there's all forgiveness, that that all my sins are forgiven by Christ. We don't actually believe that stuff because we're living in shame. We're living in guilt. We're living as though we're condemned and we don't want anybody to know about it. Instead, let us be honest. Let us walk in the light. Let us confess our sins. Let us confess and be open and honest about our struggles, our failures, our fears, our anxieties, our disappointments. Just be honest and real and vulnerable. Is that a little scary? Yeah, it's a little scary sometimes. It's a little uncomfortable? Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. But this is how we walk in the light. This is how we show to everyone who might come in these doors that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You don't have to carry your guilt and your shame anymore. This is a safe place where we can be real and honest and open and vulnerable with each other. Our church should be one that is full of a bunch of needy sinners that are completely dependent on God and one another. Because that's the reality. That's the truth. Whether we live like that or not, that's the truth. All right, so we should be have a culture of, of welcoming, serving, honesty, and our last one here, and we'll end here today, is evangelism. A gospel culture is one of evangelism, one that uh, the church culture where, where it's not just inward-focused, but outward-focused, outward-focused. And there's this debate that, that can go on <clears throat> among theologians and pastors and nerds like me who care about that kind of stuff, um, where, where you talk about, you know, is the church for believers or for unbelievers? And you have churches that are like, no, the church is only for believers, only for believers. We're only going to focus on believers. We're only going to talk to believers. We're only going to pretend like the only people here are believers. The church is for believers, and then you have other churches that are like, no, 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 the church is for the outsider. The church is for those that don't believe. We're, we're going to preach to, we're going to talk to, we're going to have all these different things for the outsider, for those that are outside the faith to be brought in. It's all about being outward focused. And I just want you to hear and I want you to know, what, what, what is it? Is the church for believers or unbelievers? It's both. It's both. Too often we make things an either or issue when the Bible says it's both and. Should we be outsider-focused or inward-focused? Both. Should we care about believers or non-believers? Both. We should focus on both. We should be inward-focused and outward-focused. We need both. Look look again at verse 7, right? Look again at verse 7. This isn't just dealing with things inside the church, it's also outside the church. Verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Priests, Jewish priests, maybe even some of those folks who were sitting in that council room in chapter five are now putting their faith in Jesus. Priests, putting their faith in Jesus. The word of God expanding and multiplying. All because this church wasn't just focused on who was inside, but also focused on the mission of God to reach those outside, to bring the gospel to the entire world, to go into every place, making disciples, preaching and proclaiming the truth of Jesus. We're to be the same way. We're to be a church that is focused on and dedicated to Jesus's mission, to being his witnesses to the ends of the earth to going everywhere and making disciples. And how does the discipleship process start? It starts with evangelism. It starts with evangelism. We can't be a church that's like, oh yeah, you get saved out over there and then you come in and we'll disciple you, right? Or hey, come in here and get saved and then we'll ship you off to the church down the road to be discipled. No, 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 we gotta do both. We gotta do both. True gospel doctrine should lead to gospel multiplication. True gospel doctrine should lead to gospel multiplication. It should lead to us sharing our faith. If we really believe the good news of Jesus, that he saves and rescues and redeems, no matter how far gone somebody is, if we truly believe the gospel, y'all, we're gonna wanna talk about it. We're gonna wanna share. We're gonna wanna invite people in. Gospel doctrine should lead to gospel multiplication. It should lead to evangelism. It should lead to sharing our faith. If we truly believe this, So we can't just be concerned as a church with having the right doctrine. That matters. That's a big deal. We can't get that wrong. We can't get the truth of God wrong. We can't can't fumble in telling people who God is, right? We can't fumble in telling people who Jesus is and what he does for people. We have to get the doctrine right. We have to have good theology, but it can't stop there. We have to be just as concerned with how we live out those things. How do we live out the doctrine that we say we believe? How do we embody the grace of God towards everybody that comes in these doors? Our gospel doctrine should lead to a gospel culture, one that is welcoming, one that serves, one that is honest and humble, one that, that lives out the mission of God. And it's up to us. Again, if you, if you say this is your church, it's up to us to foster and build and protect this kind of culture. Let's be a church when when someone steps inside our doors, they immediately feel the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. In a minute, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come back up here and lead us in a couple more songs, and we're going to do what we do every single Sunday. So if you're new to this church, you're here visiting for the first time, uh, this is how we end every service. Uh, I'll spend a moment in prayer, and then we will step into a time of worship and communion. And this is a time for just the believers in the room. It's an act of celebration and remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. So again, if you are a believer, if you've claimed the name of Jesus, as I pray, as the band leads, I wanna encourage you, take some time, take a few moments, spend some time in prayer. Maybe you spend some time repenting of sin, confessing things to the Lord. Maybe you need to, to confess some things to somebody here. Maybe you need to seek prayer from somebody here. I do that, we're, we're here, we got two of our elders in the room, Dave and Ken, we, we, we would love to pray with you. Anybody here would love to pray with you. Maybe you need to pull somebody aside. Say, hey, would you pray for me? So take the time you need, and as your hearts are ready, as you are prepared, you can go to either side of the room. We have the elements at both of the tables over here. We have the bread and the cup representing the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins. So you go to the tables, you take, you eat, you drink, and then then let's stand and worship and praise our good God and Savior. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you know based on the sermon that I'm thankful you're here. I want you here. I want you to keep coming. This is a safe place where you can bring your questions, your concerns, your doubts, your fears. So I, I love that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here, but just know that this time isn't for you. This time is just for the believers in the room. But if you're here and you're ready to step into faith, if you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, if you're ready to step into that complete forgiveness, free of guilt and shame that Jesus promises, all he says, all he says to be saved is you gotta put your faith in him. And that's just you saying, Jesus, I'm done living for myself. I'm done chasing after these things. I wanna live for you. I know I'm a sinner. You died on the cross to save me and now I'm trusting in you to save me. And there's no magic words for this. All I gotta do is just tell Jesus that. Just tell Jesus that. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Dedicate your life to him. and He promises to save. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call on his name. If you have questions about that, let me know. I'd love to talk to you. If you're, if you're here and you want to do that today, again, let any of us know. We want to celebrate with you, answer any questions that you have. So if you put your faith in Jesus, then come to the tables and celebrate your first communion as a child of God. Let me pray for us, church. We'll step into this time of worship. Jesus, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for all that you've done. God, you are so, so good to us far better than we could ever ask or deserve. Lord, and that's the thing about your grace. His grace is, is undeserved favor towards us. Lord, we don't, we don't deserve any of this. We haven't done anything to earn your favor or your salvation, and yet, Lord, you, you give it to us freely. You say, for it is by grace that we have been saved, not by works, but all because of you, Jesus. So we thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that we would embody that grace or that we would demonstrate that grace to everybody who comes into this place Lord. that you would develop a gospel culture here, Lord. Just pray that you give us strength to walk in obedience or give us strength to be honest, give us strength to confront the sin in our lives where we need to, Lord. Give us strength to walk in faith and obedience to you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Give you all the praise and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.